How many people are ready for God's Word? Come on, are you ready for God's Word? Come on, are you ready for God's Word? Come on, come on. How many people love the Word of the Lord? You love the Word of the Lord. And uh, we, if you love the Lord, you love His Word. And I just want to give a shout-out welcome to our online church that have joined back with us right now, people in our city, our province, our nation, and globally around the world that actually join in every Sunday to be a part of this worship experience. We're in a summer sermon series. This is part eight of a nine-part series. We're calling it Cultivate. And we believe that Holy Spirit wants to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It's an inner work. It's a change. It's a working of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit are found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. You might know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And today is number 8. We're going to zero in on the word gentleness. And we're going to discover, I believe, what God wants to speak to our hearts today about the working of Holy Spirit in the ministry of gentleness. So I want you to pull out your sermon outline. It is on the back of your bulletin. And we encourage you, invite you to take notes. Many of our connect groups are sermon aligned. And we have a team of people that make more detailed notes from the sermon and create a little study guide. And we are so grateful for that. And so I want to start with with a definition. You probably know that the New Testament is written in Greek. And uh, Greek is an amazing language. And when they were writing the word of the Lord in the, in the early church, they, they chose an interesting, rich Greek word for gentleness, and it's spelled P-R-A-U-T-E-S, protes, protest. And it's interesting, in the Greek language, they not only had a definition for the word, they would always have an illustration for the word. So here's, Here's what I want you to write in your notes, and I want you to put this down, because when we speak of gentleness, it's not just this mild personality. That's what we think gentleness is, meek and mild and calm and, and, you know, quiet. And it it might be that, but the Greek word is rich with meaning, and biblical gentleness is strength that is under God's control. Now, the Greek word means strength under control, but the biblical word of gentleness means an inner strength that is under the control of God. There's the definition. Now, here's the illustration. I want you for a moment, and and some of you were, were raised on farms maybe, or you're familiar with horses. My dad was raised on a farm, very familiar with horses. My mom has a cousin that runs a horse ranch. I've been to it many times. And I'd seen him get some of the wild stallion horses. You ever seen a wild horse? And you don't want to ride a wild horse. It's dangerous. They will hurt you. And, and someone who has a horse has to tame the horse. They have to, sometimes they call it to break the horse. But there's actually a farmer's word that is used. They've got to gentle the horse. And they gentle the horse so that you can ride the horse. Now, the horse that is wild has the same strength as the horse that is gentle. It's the same strength, same power, but the strength is now under the control of the owner of the horse. Same strength, same power, but now under the control. It can run fast if the owner wants it to run fast. It it can do whatever the owner wants, whatever the master wants, the horse will do once it's gentled. And biblical gentleness means that our strength is now under the control of God. It is strength that is properly distributed where our emotions are under control. Don't lift your hand, but how many people have ever lost your cool? Don't lift your hand. 
It should be every hand right now. Some of you are like, how many times today already? And sometimes it's hard to keep our emotions in check. And some people just know how to push your buttons. You know what I'm talking about? They just push my buttons. I've got one nerve left and you're on it. It's hard to keep our emotions under control. Gentleness is strength that is under control. Let me walk through some intro scriptures. Paul writes to a church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness, let your protest be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And here's why you can do it. The Lord is near. You don't have to do it in your own strength. The Lord is near. Holy Spirit in you wants to cultivate this gentleness. And let your gentleness be evident to all, to your spouse, to your children, and to those that sit around you, to your boss, to your co-workers, to your neighbors. Gentleness is meant to be evident to all. Paul writes to young Timothy. Let's put 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 on the screen. And Paul is speaking into the life of Timothy. He's mentoring Timothy. And he says, you man of God. He calls Timothy man of God. Flee from all this. What was the this? It's don't be a lover of money. Because in the verses before, he teaches us that money is the root of all evil. Don't love money, but pursue Or chase after righteousness, chase after godliness, chase after faith. Pursue love, endurance, and here's the Greek word again, gentleness. You are to pursue gentleness until you find it. Discover it. Find it. And then there's one more intro verse in Colossians. Paul's now writing to a church in Colossae. I love this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is Colossians 3.12, holy and dearly loved. Anybody glad that God loves us? Anybody glad that God loves you? Isn't it great? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself. Now, now I'm going to push pause because this is the time of year you got to wear layers, right? It's cooler in the morning, warmer later in the day, and so you put on layers. And now here are the biblical layers. Layer yourself with compassion and kindness and humility, here it is, and gentleness and patience. I mean, Paul teaches us that this gentleness needs to be evident to all. He teaches us that we're to chase after it and pursue it till we find it. And then he tells us to clothe ourselves, cover ourselves with gentleness. It is biblical gentleness is strength that is under the control of the spirit of the living God. So I want to walk you through today some teaching this morning. I want to give you eight different benefits, eight biblical truths, eight things that we can, we can zoom in on, on gentleness, eight benefits of gentleness. Number one, number one, write this in your notes. It's built on the word strength. It's an acrostic, made it up, did my best. Here it comes. Soothing when in conflict. Now I thought of the word soothing when I was a young boy. Every summer I'd go to my, my grandma and grandpa's cottage that, that we'd go to and we'd spend the summers there. And I, I, was very fair-skinned, believe it or not, when I had lots of hair. You can laugh. It was real blonde. And I'd get real dark from the sun. But before I got real dark, I'd get sunburned. Anybody ever had a sunburn before? And I'd walk back into the cottage, and I felt like I, was a, I looked like a lobster. And I was, oh, it was so painful. And my grandma would bring out the ancient cure for sunburns, Noxzema. Anybody ever put that on a sunburn? And she'd pull it out and... She put the Noxzema on my legs, and it was so cool and soothing. Gentleness is soothing. It's soothing when in conflict. It, it really is. It just it brings a calmness. It brings a gentleness. When, when conflict is there and voices are raised 
and, and, and I mean, you're just, you're just, you're just, you know, you're yelling. So I want to give you an illustration. It's a couple of years ago. I was on a hospital call. I'm, I'm visiting someone in the children's hospital, Chio, and I'm on my way out, and I'm ready to put my little ticket into that little thing where the gate goes up, and, 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 I, and there's a car in front of me, so I'm waiting, and all of a sudden, the car starts backing up. Now, there's a lineup behind me, and this guy's backing up. What would you do? I pushed the horn. Now, in fairness to him, my GMC had the loudest, most obnoxious horn you've ever heard. It wasn't meep, meep. It was Arrgh! And so I honked. You do the same. And he kept backing up. So I did what you do. I honked again. I thought the guy doesn't see me. And he's backing up. And now he's almost at my bumper, and I'm going, this is not good. I only honked twice, all right? And then finally the cars behind me moved, and I, I must have upset him. And he pulled his car beside me, and he, he's like an inch from my car, window to window. He gets me to put down my window, and he shared words that I would never repeat. <laughs> I mean, he's talking to me about my horn and what I should do with my horn. It was nasty, and he's yelling at me, and he's... He's threatening me. And inside, there's this fleshly voice where I wanted to say, ooh, but I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. I mean, he's, he's yelling. And I'll tell you, the thought crossed my mind. I don't know what he was facing today as he was leaving the children's hospital. I mean, there's something going on, obviously, that, that I mean, I mean, I just lightly beat my horn and you're backing up. It's no big deal. And, but, but obviously there's more grapes to this cluster of emotion and he's, he's out of control. And so I, I thank God, Holy Spirit, took over the flesh part of Mark and I just said, sir, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? He honestly didn't know how to handle that response. And he looked at me and he drove away and it was over. It was done. Thank the Lord. Your pastor did not get in a physical fight. Isn't that good news? I mean, I mean, no, no, no. Here's the word of the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord. Look at, look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. When someone's yelling at you, you're going to be tempted to yell back. They raise their voice. I'm going to raise. Lower your voice. Let Holy Spirit give a gentle answer to you. It turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, church, we're to live... Not as people like the world in the flesh, we're to walk in Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we need Holy Spirit to cultivate this. Let me give you Ecclesiastes 10 verse 4. If a ruler's anger rises against you, your boss is yelling at you, you're in trouble, something you didn't do, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Here's audience participation. Anybody willing to admit that you need Holy Spirit to help you with gentleness? My hand's the first to go up. Anybody? Any? Oh, you spiritual 25 people in the house. God, no, 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 no. No, it's not the 25 people that are spiritual. It's all you other ones that won't lift your hand. Wow, we need God to help us with this. Now, number two, number two, taming when criticized. You, you need to hear me that when you do something for God, you will be criticized. I mean, if you don't want to be criticized, don't do anything. But the more you do, the more you'll be criticized. And some people say to me, Pastor, it must be hard to lead a church. No, it's the best job in the world when you're called. But you need to understand 
that when you stand on the word of the Lord, some people don't get happy with you. I do receive emails. I do get interesting letters. And there's some stuff that I've received over the years that my board has said to me, you're not to read it. We're going to discern this. We're going to walk through this. But if you don't want to be ever criticized, don't do anything in life. But everybody who's doing something for the kingdom of God will be criticized. But, but gentleness can tame uh, when you are being criticized. Let me give you Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13, very quickly. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. Why did Paul say that? Because some people were saying that you're trying to make money off us. And Paul says, no, no, no. We work hard with our own hands. Paul made tents. He earned a living through making tents. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. Isn't that good teaching? Someone yells at you, bless them. Don't curse them, bless them. When we're persecuted, we endure it. Now look at verse 13. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. And he uses the same Greek word for gentleness. Because Paul was slandered. And instead of giving you know, what they gave him, he responded with gentleness. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and verse 8. Paul is now writing to a guy named Titus who's on an island of Crete. And he said in verse 7, in everything... Titus, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness. Now look at verse 8. And soundness. Now the actual Greek word is gentleness of speech. Be gentle in your speech. Then you cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Gentleness will tame your critics. Harshness will flame the fuel of your critics. And then Paul is now writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Let me read it quickly. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome. If you want to be a servant of God, do not waste time in arguments. But you must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Look at verse 25. Opponents must be gently instructed. There it is. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Then there's number three. Gentleness removes defensiveness. And I don't know about you, but I've had from time to time intense conversation with my wife. Anybody willing to admit that? You know what that means? We did not look eye to eye on something. Anybody willing to admit that you've not always looked eye to eye the same way in your marriage relationship? You're way too spiritual for me this morning. Anybody ever looked at life a little different than your spouse? Come on, come on, come on. I'm willing to admit it. And sometimes our personality kicks in, and, and sometimes personalities begin to clash. And, you know, I mean, I mean you, you move from attract to attack. And, and all of a sudden, you feel like your personality, you're right and they're wrong. And, and, and all of a sudden, a dis- and arguments begin to happen. And, but, but I've learned, I've learned in any relationship with life, gentleness removes defensiveness. If you want an argument to escalate, use the words, you never, you always. How many people know that doesn't work well? But when you walk in gentleness, gentleness removes defensiveness. Look at Proverbs 25, 15. I love this. I love this. Solomon was so wise. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. Now note this. A gentle tongue can actually break a bone. He uses the illustration of a hard bone that can be broken because of gentleness. One translation says gentleness can get through to a hard head. (laughs) That makes sense. I mean, gentleness can remove 
defensiveness. And then there's Galatians 6, verse 1. I had to put this in the sermon this morning. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, who you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, I can remember as a young kid playing sports outside, and one of the neighbor kids dislocated his leg. And the doctors had to put the leg back in place on the spot. Oh, oh my goodness. They distracted him. They asked him how old he was and what sport he liked. And he says, I'm 14 and I like... Ah! They got him. And I don't know about you, but when I go to the dentist, I want them, or to the doctor, I want them to be gentle. I mean, I'm one of those guys, when I go to the dentist, it takes a lot of freezing to freeze my mouth. And I one day... I'll never forget it. We were in Montreal pastoring, and my dentist said, it's just a small filling. I think you could probably go without the anesthetic if you like. And I was so afraid of the needle, I said, do it. It was the worst mistake of my life. He hit a nerve. I think my head hit the ceiling. Gentleness, 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 can actually remove defensiveness. And then there's number four. It's engaging with others. It's attractive. It's welcoming. It's, it's, it's drawing. And there's an amazing story in the book of Ruth, and it's worth reading. And there's a guy who's rich, and his name is Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. One, two, three. Boaz. And he's a wealthy businessman, and he owned fields with crops. And in those days, there was a law that they called gleaning of the fields. And the poor people could actually, here's what the farmers would do. They would harvest their fields, and they would take the crops, but the outskirts of the field they would leave so that the poor people can come and glean on the fields. Isn't that cool? How many people think farmers should do that nowadays? You know, just leave the outside of the field for us. Wouldn't that be cool? And so they would leave the outside of the fields, and the poor people would glean the field. Insert a lady named Ruth. Her husband had died. And she's now trying to take care of her mother-in-law. And she's trying to get food for her mother-in-law, for her. And she's gleaning the field. And she's, 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 she's of a different nationality than Boaz. And Boaz looks out, and he sees Ruth gleaning the fields. And he speaks real gently to her. Let's, let's read verse 13. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, this is what Ruth said to Boaz, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking gently to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And when you read the story, Ruth was so impressed with Boaz, they got married. I'll tell you, Boaz spoke gently and he wasn't ruthless. If he was ruthless, he would have ended up ruthless. Write that down. Put that on social media. There's an amazing New Testament scripture in 1 Peter 3, verse 4. I love it. I mean, this verse will preach on its own. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
I mean, I'm in my 50s. I mean, our skin starts to wrinkle and outwardly we start to age. But, but inner gentleness needs to be unfading. It needs to be growing. And I pray that Holy Spirit would groom in my life and your life a deeper measure of a gentle spirit. And I would encourage you to keep praying 1 Peter 3 verse 4. But then there's number 5. It nurtures unity. It brings unity. It, it doesn't bring disunity. Gentleness nurtures unity. And there's verses that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus that, that really rock me. And I, I, I love these verses. And, and, and it's verse 2 and verse 3. But let me read verse 3 before verse 2. Because verse 2 tells us how to do verse 3. And in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, make, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Work hard at keeping unity in the church. Work hard at keeping unity in, in your marriage. Work hard at keeping unity in your family. And how, how can you keep the spirit of unity? It's first to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. Gentleness keeps the family together. Gentleness keeps a church together. You could say amen right now. Come on, you could say amen right now. Gentleness is a unifier. It keeps unity. But then there's number six. Honestly, it gains respect when sharing your faith. I mean, we're in a day and age where lots is going on. And sometimes we feel like tolerance is there until it comes to Christianity. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, like the, the greatest persecution feels like it's coming towards Christians? Do you ever, do you ever, am I the only one that feels that way? It, it almost feels like, 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 like tolerance is there until Christians stand for what they believe. And now, here's what the devil wants us to do when that happens. The devil wants us to, to, to manifest like we're angry. And you need to hear me today. We might be right in what we stand for, but sometimes we're wrong in how we present it. How we say something is just as important as what we say. And how we say it can determine how what we say is received. Are you, are you with me on that? And so we need, to, we, need to, we need to earn the right to be heard. We need to learn to stand and declare what we believe and what we stand for. And, and sometimes, sometimes people of other faiths and, and other lifestyles look at the church and say, you, you're so judgmental, you're so, you're so intolerant. But when you scrape deeper, sometimes I think it's because we as Christians need to grow in learning to say what we believe with conviction, but do it with gentleness, you can be firm and gentle at the same time. You can be firm and gentle at the same time. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Can I give you some advice? When someone asks you questions about your faith and you don't know the answer, don't make it up. Don't feel like you... Sometimes your answer is, I don't know, but I will find out and I will get back to you. That's when you often call me and you say, Pastor, what's the answer? And I usually say, I could feed a man for a day by getting him to fish, or I could show him how to fish and feed him for life. And so I just direct you to how you can discover the answer. 
But here it is. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. But do this with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. We need to learn to gain respect when sharing our faith. Titus 3, 1 and 2 are amazing verses. Paul is writing to Titus, island of Crete. And he says to Titus, make sure you remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. And to be obedient. And to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. And be peaceable and considerate. And always to be gentle towards everyone. Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And the Spirit of the living God wants to cultivate more gentleness so that we would stand true to the Word of God, not to water down our convictions, but declare it with gentleness. And then there's number seven. Number seven is gentleness, honestly, is a good God-given solid trait of good leadership. Good leaders. There's a leader inside of you trying to get out. And some of you are like, well, this, this point is, I'm not a leader. Every, somebody is following you. You are a leader to someone. Are you hearing me today? You're like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a board member. Not you, everybody has somebody following them. There's a leader in all of you. So you need to hear this point. Let me read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. And, and first, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, down to verse 3. Paul said to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Look at verse 2. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Why did Paul highlight not violent? Because they were living in a day where the leaders were harsh and forceful and violent. They ruled with an iron thumb. And Paul said, no, we're not like that. Timothy, you want to be a leader, be gentle. A great leadership trait. Now, I'm going to read you a verse in a moment. And I want you to think back, Old Testament. And I want you to think back to one of the greatest kings that ever walked in those days. His name was David. And David, God used them to bring these 12 tribes together. And David had a son, Solomon. And Solomon had great leadership. And and the 12 tribes of Israel were united. But then Solomon dies. And he gives the reins to one of his boys, Rehoboam. Everybody say Rehoboam. One, two, three, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was trying to figure out how to lead the Israelites. And so what he did, what I think was good advice... He went and asked the elders, give me some advice. How many people think it's good to seek people who are farther down the road than you to learn from them? And so he goes and he asks the elders. Let, let's read it. Let's see what goes on. This is 1 Kings 12, verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me? To answer these people. Give me some advice. How should I lead these people? He goes to the elders. Look at verse 7. They replied, if today, two things, you'd be a servant to these people. Now there's a good teaching. It's not how many people you lord over. It's how many people you serve under. Leadership is not lording over. 
leadership is serving under. Today, you'll be serving to these people. Serve them and give them a favorable answer. And actually, some translations say a gentle answer. They will always be your servants. Serve them and be gentle. I thought that was good advice. So Rehoboam gets that advice. What does he do? Look at verse 8. Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him. Oh, man. So he consulted the young guys, the young man who he had grown up with. I don't like your advice, old guys. You're old. You don't know anything. You're washed up. I'm going to ask my buddies. So he goes to his buddies. Now look at verse 10 and verse 11. This is is interesting. Look what his buddies said. Uh, This is what you tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Imagine that. Don't be gentle. You go, my baby finger is thicker than my daddy's waist. Look at verse 11. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, and I'm going to make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. Now, I'm saddened to tell you that Rehoboam listened to the advice of his buddies And he rejected the advice of the elders. And he goes to the people of Israel and he says, My baby finger is bigger than my daddy's waist. He whipped you with this, but I'm going to get you with scorpions. I want you to look, please, for a moment at the word of the Lord in verse 13 in 1 Kings chapter 12. The king answered the people, not gently, but harshly. Harshly. And he rejected the advice given him by the elders. Look at verse 14. He followed the advice of the young man and said, My father made your yoke easy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, but I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. And you know what happened? The kingdom divided. And ten tribes of people, Awalt, if he'd only functioned in gentleness, they would have stuck together. I don't know about you, but I'm asking Holy Spirit, Daily to cultivate gentleness because harshness is easy and it's easier to lead from position and I'm the boss. I'm the man of this house. Listen to me, but it's wrong. Gentleness is the God-given way. Now, I want to bring this together, and I've said all this to leave you with some truths that I felt the Lord wanted me to bring you to in the final moments of this message, and it's number eight. Gentleness helps you to become more like Jesus. I mean, gentleness characterizes Jesus. So let me offer you a few verses about my Jesus. Paul said to the church in Philippi in chapter 2, verse 6, who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then in verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, to think that Jesus, who was God, left heaven and came to earth for you and me. Come on, does that excite anybody this morning? That God would lead the the glory of heaven. And when he came to earth, he didn't stop being God. He took upon himself the form of man. He was 100% God and 100% man. But he wasn't 
born in the fancy hotel. He was born in a, in a barn and laid in a feeding trough. And he walked on planet Earth. And he spoke gently. In fact, when he triumphantly came into Jerusalem, he didn't go riding on a power horse. He came riding on a gentle donkey. Gentleness characterizes my Jesus. And then there's these verses that, that I, I can't wait to get to the last verse. But before I do, I need to show you Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. One day, in, Jesus said to a group of people, and it's recorded in Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty. 20, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I'm going to give you rest. And I push pause because I got a feeling there's some weary and burdened people in the house this morning. And Jesus is giving you the invitation. You come with your weariness and I'm going to give you rest. And then he said, take my yoke upon you. Yoke. A farmer would understand a yoke. A farmer would have a large, large wooden bar that would connect one animal to the next and Yoke them together, and you probably know that two can do much more than one, and they can do so much more. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Could it be that some of us this morning are struggling with rest in our souls because we haven't discovered the gentleness of Holy Spirit? We must pursue it. We must clothe ourselves with it. We must ask God by his spirit to cultivate, cultivate gentleness, remove harshness. I want to leave you with something that I saw this week because you know that Bible chapters are man-made. The chapters actually bleed into one another. And verses are what someone made up to help us read the Bible. And not many verses after Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Here's, here's what I want to leave you with. I couldn't wait to share this. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it picks up a prophetic word from Isaiah. And, and it says, a bruised reed, he will not break Jesus. He, Jesus, will not break. A bruised reed, he will not break. And number two, a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. If you're like me, I've read that before, and I've glossed over it, and I missed the deep truth. And so I started to study it this week. I actually began to study what a reed was. A reed in Bible days could be three feet tall or 20 feet tall, and it it would grow on the river banks in Palestine and in Egypt. And I'm told that a reed was hollow in the middle. And a reed wasn't firm and strong. A bird could never land on a reed. Well, it could, but the reed would break. The reed would bend. It wasn't strong. A reed wasn't sturdy. And in those days, they would take reeds and they would make flutes out of them. Flutes. Flutes. And they would make baskets out of reeds. But they would look for the reed that wasn't bruised or blemished. I mean, I mean, there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. You can look it up, where Jesus describes a reed that is swayed by the wind. Because a reed 
was never known for its strength. And the wind would sway the weed and the reed. And the reed would push down and people would trample on the reeds. And the reeds would become blemished. And the reeds would become bruised. And so when they were wanting to make baskets or flutes, they would never pick up a, a bruised or a blemished reed. Reeds are known not for their strength. They're, they're known for weakness. In fact, there's, there's another scripture. I don't know how I missed this, but you can write it down. In Matthew 27, 29, when Jesus was going to the cross for our sins. Remember, they, they made a crown of thorns. Matthew 27, 29, in most translations, says that they gave him a staff. But the ancient Greek word doesn't say staff. It says they gave him a reed. A reed. Jesus wasn't standing there holding a strong staff. They gave him a reed, a reed that was flimsy, a reed that came from the river banks, a reed that symbolized weakness. It's like they were saying, Jesus, you think you're strong. You're not strong. You're weak. We're going to kill you. We're going to crucify you. Oh, church, can I put it together? This is an Old Testament prophetic word from Isaiah. And now, no, the Greek word for broken means to be decimated, to be shattered. Now put it back on the screen. A bruised reed. He will not break. I've got a word for you this morning. Some of you are feeling like the harshness of life has broken your life, broken your spirit. You're you're feeling like you've been trampled on. You're feeling like you've gone through the ringer of life. You're feeling like, like everything is going against you. Jesus, the gentle one, wants to come alongside you and not break you and not crush you, but to make you strong in him. Your strength is not found in you. Your strength is found in the Lord God Almighty, I'm glad that gentle Jesus is in the house today. Can you give a clap offering to gentle Jesus today? You feel like you've been trampled on. He wants to lift you up. A bruised reed. He will not break as I close. The last part of this verse says a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. You got to study it to understand how the wick would be and what fueled the wick. The wick would be a little piece of linen cloth. And the linen cloth would be on a jar. And in the jar would be the oil. And the oil would be lit. The wick would be lit. And the oil would fan and fume. And the fire would come forth. But when the oil would run out, the fire would stop. And they say that when the fire of the linen wick was going out... Smoke would fill the room, and it would be the most horrible smell. And so most people go, that smells awful. Snuff out the wick. And so they would go, and they would put their hand on the wick, and they would, they would snuff out the wick. They would, they would put the wick out because the oil is gone. Some of you today are like, man, that feels like my life. What does, what does the prophetic word from Isaiah says? A smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. I believe what Jesus does is not snuff out the wick. He brings more oil. 
And oil represents the Holy Spirit. I'm here to say to you, God is for you. He's not against you. He doesn't want you to be like a trampled on reed. He will not break the bruised, blemished reed. He will not snuff out the wick. He would release his Holy Spirit. He is for you. He's not against you. He wants to give you life. He is the gentle Savior. Come on, Woodville. I'm talking to you about my Jesus. And he wants to bring hope and life to everyone in this place. I want to invite you to stand with me today and worship band and team. Would you come? Would you come and join me on the platform? Heads are bowed. Please stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. And as you're standing here today, as you're in this place this morning, I want to declare to you today that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is in the house today. And he wants to minister to us. And he wants to cultivate a greater measure of gentleness in us and through us. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And even before we sing. And even before I open this altar. I want to ask you a question. If today was the day you died. You stepped into eternity. Do you know that you know that you're going to heaven? Are you ready for heaven? Is your heart right with God? Do you know that you're going to heaven? You will live forever. Do you know that you're going to heaven? And I believe there's people here this morning. You can't answer that question with a definite yes. I've got good news for you. You can settle it this morning. You can make it right with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be the center of your life. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come in your life, but today I'm going to give you that opportunity. Maybe you did it one time, but you've turned your back on God, but today you want to settle it. I'm not going to belabor this. I'm just going to count the three. And after I count the three, if you want to be included in this prayer to ask Christ to be the center of your life because you want to be ready for heaven, I want you to lift your hand, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So one, two, three. If that's you, you'll lift your hand. And by lifting your hand, you're letting me know, Pastor, I want to be led in this prayer. I want Christ to be the center of my life. I want to be ready for heaven. I want to thank those of you that just lifted your hands. You can put your hand down. I want to lead you in this prayer, and we're going to join you as you pray. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, let's pray it again. Dear Jesus, come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, I make my peace with you. Today, I have decided to be a follower of Jesus. Today, I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your eyes, church. It's party time. Celebrate salvation. It's party time. It's party time. If you prayed that prayer, that's the best decision of your life. In just a, a few moments after the service, Go to the follow wall. It's in the lobby. We got a Bible for you. It's free. We got a little booklet for you. It's free. And if you've accepted Christ in your life, take the next step. Get baptized in water. If this is your church, get into a connect group. You want to lead one, host one, attend one, go to the connect wall. Serve. You want to serve, go to the serve wall. You're our guest. Come on, can we thank our guests one more time for coming today? Honestly, we are so glad that you came. And drop by the guest lounge. We, we want to bless you. But pastor, there, there's, 
I, I just, I just want to say something, and I, we give God the glory, but I really feel in my spirit that there's a, a release of a richer, fresher anointing of Holy Spirit on you as our worship pastor. In the past few Sundays, I... And I know you give him glory, but, but, but he just keep leaning in on Holy Spirit. There's a presence of God in this house that we cherish. And I just felt God saying to me as I'm getting ready for the service that he wants to release the gentle ministry of Holy Spirit in this place today. And, and some of you, you're feeling bruised and broken. You don't need the doctor to come and ram the bone back in. You need, you need Holy Spirit to gently wrap His arms around you because you're feeling like you're a bruise and a blemished reed. You're feeling like you've been trampled on by life. And you, you need Jesus to say, I'm not going to break the bruised, broken reed. And there's some of you today, you feel like that your life, it's like that wick that is burned out. And you need Holy Spirit to come and give you a fresh touch of His oil in this place today. And I'm here to declare in this place today, my Jesus, Jesus is alive. Come on. Come on, Woodville. My Jesus is alive. And I'll tell you, we're going we're gonna to let him do the battle in this house this morning. We're going to believe that God Almighty would open the windows of heaven in this place. And he would wrap his arms around us. And I feel God wants to give the church like, like a hug this morning, a bear hug. And let us know that he loves us. And he wants to gently minister to us. And so here's what's going to happen. We're just going to worship for a few moments, Pastor. And if you want to come and stand at this altar, you feel free to come forth. But whatever you do this morning, friends, lift your hands, lift your voice. Can we just ask right now, Holy Spirit, come in this place in your body power. Come on, lift your hands, church. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you, God. I, I feel that there's some bruised, blemished reeds in the house this morning. They've been swayed. They feel like they've been broken. They feel like they've been battered. I pray that instead of being broken, they would be healed in their spirit today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. God, I believe there's some people today, they feel like like the wick of life has gone out and people have snuffed it out. God, give us Holy Spirit oil in this place today. I pray that you give us life and abundant life. I pray as we begin to sing that the heavens would open. And there would be a release of God Almighty in this place. Come on, somebody shout amen right now. Come on, somebody shout amen. Let's lift our voice. Let's sing to the Lord. Open your hearts. Let the Spirit of the living God minister to you. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. Come on, you sing. This is how. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I.
morning you don't have to fight your battle Jesus is going to fight the battle on your behalf how you fight your battle is you yoke yourself with him he says come to me all you that are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you for my burden is light give your burden to the Lord amen that's how I fight my battle so before we go can we lift our hands and can we just give the burden to the Lord today I don't know what you're walking through but give your burden to the Lord this is how we fight our battle come on Brad sing it come on this is how oh this is how I fight my battles this is how I fight my battles this is how I fight my battles this is how I this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Come on again. This is how. take you back when they gave Jesus that, that, that reed. And Jesus is standing there holding a, a reed that could be swayed by the wind because they're saying, you're, you're powerless. You're weak. And then they took him and they nailed him to a cross and they put him in the grave and they thought it was over. But aren't you glad there's no weakness in Jesus? How many people are glad that God the Father raised him to life and he lives forevermore? Amen. And sometimes in life you feel like you're, you're the bruise, you're the blemished reed that you're, you're trampled on. And here's the picture I had as we were worshiping. <laughs> it might feel like you're being trampled on by life. But I want to declare in this place the devil, the enemy is under our feet. 
When Jesus was nailed to the cross, His power was disarmed. I said His power was disarmed. You might feel like the devil is winning, but Jesus is the winner. He's the king. And He fights the battles. And He is for us. He is not against us. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. Come on up. Just grab me a mic just before we go. I just, I just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I, uh, I trust you, Bonnie. I believe the Lord's given you something to share before we go. So you share it. I'm sorry. My heart is just pounding Don't really fast. Don't be sorry. Um, God just reminded me of a scripture that he's been using in my life this last week. And it's when the Israelites were being attacked and they didn't know what to do. It's in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. It says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And then in verse 15, God says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And in verse, and in verse 17, he says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And I sense that God is saying that there's so many of you that are, are fighting battles, but God is telling you, do not leave this place being afraid, but go out today and tomorrow, and God will be with you. You will not have to fight. He says, take your position, and that position is a position of worship. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, give a clap off your praise to the Lord God. I just want to lead us in prayer. I know we got children in the children's wing you need to get. After I pray, Pastor, feel free to keep playing for a bit. And altar workers, come to the front. And if someone would like prayer, you want someone to pray for you, we're honored to, to pray for you. We've got a team of people. Lift your hands, would you, Father God? I want to say thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for our time of worship. Thank you for our missionary that joined us this morning. Thank you for our time of feasting on your word. Because we love you, we love your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just do a fresh work in every heart. And I pray your blessing on everyone today. Give us an amazing week. Give us a God week. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Y'all said amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.